everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married, where we talk your favorite horror films and maybe a few you haven't heard of. I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we're talking about the 1993 animated film, The Nightmare Before Christmas. So this is uh, this is our first animated film, isn't it? It is, yeah. I wasn't sure if we had done any weird <laughs> animated films since we started this. No, no, this is the first one. Okay. I and think. Obviously, this is one that's a little bit more uh, safe, <laughs> safe in terms of horror. I mean, I know people are like, this isn't a horror film, but I, I feel like it could lean in that direction. It's pretty dark for a, well, children, for yeah, a family film. It is. Actually, that's the reason it was released under Touchstone instead of Disney. Disney screened it and decided it was too dark right. for uh, for kids. So they uh, didn't want to release it with their, their little castle intro. <laughs> and obviously, all girls with a black little heart such as myself this is required viewing. <laughs> like I, this is, this is probably one of my favorite uh, Disney films of all time. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. I, uh, I don't know if it's my, it might be one of my favorites. It's hard. It's, oh, that's like, that's like a pillow talk question almost. What's your favorite Disney film? Because I don't know that I could pick. I have so many, but it's like between a time period, right? Because I grew up on all the stuff from like, you know, the forties and stuff, but I feel like there's a cutoff period for me and that might be after the Lion King when was that like 95 or something because then we kind of entered that whole Pixar era and you know as much as I love I mean there are ones I love like Toy Story and Cars and stuff and but, Wally and Wally but I kind of feel like they're a mixed bag after that like for some reason it feels like they got to a point where every film had to be depressing and it was just like are you making these for children or are you making these for the adults who grew up watching watching Disney. Yeah. You know, and so I kind of lost interest a little bit in in some stuff. Like I mean, again, there's still ones we love like obviously The Princess and the Frog because of London and Moana, Moana because of London and The Rock. <laughs> But I don't know. I just when I when I want to watch a Disney film, I tend to watch the older fare. I guess. Yeah, I, I actually read an article. Disney, I think, is kind of struggling right now with their animation. They're just the movies they're kicking out are just not what they used to be. So they're think, they're kind of struggling financially. I think that's fair, and also this wouldn't be the first time that that's happened. I think Pixar is probably what pulled them up out of that hole the first time, you know, because their regular two D animation stuff just after a while wasn't doing as well. So yeah, well, I mean, people always want something new, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever the new new thing is, uh, but we have short attention spans, so it doesn't hold it for very long. I mean, I remember when Toy Story came out, and the animation in it, you're like, holy crap. Right. This mm -hmm. is, I've never seen anything like this before. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, let's do the same song over and over and over again, <laughs> and over and over again. Um, and then it seems like they just kind of ran out of original ideas. Yeah, I mean, so much so that they're making everything into live action, and I have to tell you, I, I have had no interest in those live action movies whatsoever. So I I have watched a couple of them and they're not terrible, but I think I would rather watch the cartoon if yeah, I'm going to watch them. That's me. It's like, uh, like the Lion King, for instance, is, is easily in my top five Disney movies. And I had no interest in watching the live action because the Lion King is one that I can still put on and feel something every single time I watch it. You know, I, it, to this day, it is still one that makes me cry every single time I watch it. Um, and so I just, I, I don't think that anything, any of the live action ones would have that same charm it's like you tried to put on uh, the live action beauty and the beast i guess a couple of weeks ago yeah. and i was like all right i'll i'll try i'll give it a chance and i'm sitting there and i'm already annoyed <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, as much as I like Emma Watson in the Harry Potter universe, I was so annoyed by how she was playing Belle, like, uppity and, you know, like she was too good for she everybody. Was, she played Belle. <laughs> the same way she played Hermione. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think she's great. But I don't know. I, see, I, and I really like Beauty and the Beast. And I think part of that's because I got to see it on Broadway. Right. And it was it's really cool seeing a, a play. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I put it on. I, basically, I put it on because I like the Gaston song. Gaston? <laughs> Gaston? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I know. Guy. So does Aiden. <laughs> Like, it's hilarious. Um, and whoever the guy is that played him in the live action, I don't know his name. Ah, uh, fuck. Some guy. He was I know in, he was in a, a Hobbit movie. Yeah, I, I know who you mean. Uh, Evans? Luke Evans? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And he's good. He plays a really good Gaston, don't get me wrong. But I don't know. The live action just didn't capture, I don't want to say the magic. No, but that's that's fair. That, that's just didn't have the same heart that the cartoon did, yeah. I guess. I think there's, there's a feeling that you get watching uh, film as a child that there's there's something that gets captured there that you can't really ever get yeah. back. And for me, I'm going to say that The Nightmare Before Christmas falls into that category because I don't know the first time you watched it, but I can remember vividly going to the movies to watch this. Yeah, no, I did not see this film until I was an adult. Wow. Well, uh, I, I get why. Think about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's not repeat that conversation. <laughs> that got us in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was not a... That was not a, a cartoon that was allowed. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I remember my mom taking us to go see this. But I, my mom took us to see a lot of them. I remember her taking us to see The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. And so usually if there was... Because I, I was all about my Disney movies when I was a kid, like I already said. So this was one I remember going to watch and just being completely enamored because it wasn't something that I had never seen anything like that. So yeah. when you talk about there being magic... I think that's 100% true. Well, and we've talked about it on here before. There are some movies that you, know, you grew up, and as an adult, you can watch it and acknowledge that it's not a good movie, but you've got the nostalgia attached to it right. from from being a kid watching it. So Surf ninjas. There could be <laughs> there could be some of that. Yeah, I think so. But then it's a, it's a movie that has followed me into adulthood, and my opinion of it has not changed. You know, it's not, it's not one where I have to wear nostalgia glasses. It's still a very enjoyable movie. Oh, film. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's still stuff that I think people are not brave enough to do in children's films. You know, there's some, some of them are not afraid to take them that far. Like you've got stuff like Monster House and Paranorman. And um, I think they've even made cartoons out of H.P. Lovecraft, but there's very few of them still. Well, and when they, sometimes when they do it, they don't, I don't know, maybe they go too far mm -hmm. um, up is a depressing film. Like oh, it's a cartoon I was thinking that... more of like the gothic kind of subject oh, yeah, yeah, matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, if you want a gothic, you, you've almost got to do Tim Burton. Like, uh, was it Frank and Weenie? Mm -hmm. There's an animated one of that and uh, Corpse Bride, stuff like mm -hmm. that. So you, you've almost got to go Tim Burton if you're going to see one of those because they just don't really exist outside of that. Well, I said there, I feel like a lot of, I mean, there there are things that exist, but it's more of like your cartoon network fair, like uh, so let's... Bill, Billy and Mandy or um, Over the Garden wall in more recent years so let me change that to you don't find them of this quality 
Unless... Hey, Over the Garden Wall has some pretty badass animation. Does it? I don't know if I... Have I ever watched it? Yes! Remember um, Potatoes and Molasses? No. You don't remember... Oh, Potatoes and Molasses. And the, guy, and the guys wearing pumpkins on their... I remember no. us trying to get you to watch it once. Anyway, the kids loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, another one... You know, because everybody, when you think of spooky stuff as a kid, you think Scooby-Doo, right? Um, yep. But uh, I'm a big fan of Courage the Cowardly Dog. I do like Courage. And that was one that could seriously get creepy. And I say that to Grubber a lot. Stupid dog. <laughs> Stupid you dog. made me look bad. <laughs> yeah. But it could get really creepy. There were several episodes of that where it was like, Ugh. I'm trying to think of that one. Oh, London really loved one where there was this guy, um, Naughty. <laughs> she would say that all the time. It was, ooh. Yeah. They got really out there sometimes. They did. They but did. in terms of Disney, I think this was really, you know, apart from Tim Burton's other stuff he's done for Disney. This was really the first one that was this dark. Yeah. So we've been sitting here talking about how great this film is, but we're not the only people that feel that way. So this is a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Deservedly so. Which is an achievement for an animated film. Uh, it's an 82 uh, Metascore. Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 95%. Oh yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think if you were going to find another one, I didn't I didn't actually go research it, but you would probably be looking at one of the classic Disney films to get that high yeah. on one. And this is actually, well, I mean, it's not it's not a classic Disney film, and it was the I think it's the only one they ever did that is not uh, traditional animation. Or it's the first one they did that wasn't traditional animation. I think it's the only one that I know of that's stop motion. Right. Mm -hmm. So, which is why it took them three years to make it. Yeah. Because uh, the the info that I found is that it took 100 people three years because it took 12 stop motion moves for one second of film. Wow. So they had well over 100,000 frames for this movie. That's insane. I mean, you know how I feel about stop motion already. The thing is, is all the stop motion that we've seen thus far, you know, in, in our horror films and our action films, you know, you they, they almost got to take you out. I mean, I, I personally find them charming and fun, but they do almost have that element of taking you out, whereas something like like this it's so seamless like you can you can see the work that went into it so it's very impressive anytime i think stop motion my I, my brain instantly goes to uh the clash of the titans <laughs> the original one i was thinking robocop but yeah or well, the gremlins walking down to, to be the honest <laughs> there was really no improvement in stop motion between clash of the titans and robocop because right. the stop motion they used in robocop was it's, freaking terrible it's pretty but, bad but i love it just the same but it's it this is an instant where it's used wonderfully. Yeah, I mean, that's... To spend that amount of time on it, there's oh. got to be love for the project. Yeah, a lot would, of talent went think. into this. Um, that's people that really care about turning out a quality product yeah. and love what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I guess if we're going to get into that, uh, a lot of the credit goes to someone that people don't talk about. And that was the guy that actually directed it, which was not Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. um, and I always thought it was, that he was like, it was Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Like, it was just their show and those two guys did all of it. But I'm incorrect because that this film was actually directed by Henry Selleck. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's dedication on his part because he would have been on set for the duration right. of the film. And according to them, Tim Burton actually didn't visit the set very much. But he was doing, what, Batman, Batman Returns, Returns and there was another film in Ed there. Ed Wood. Ed mm -hmm. Wood, yeah. He was doing those at the same time that this was filming, which, I mean, it makes sense that he would need to be there, especially for Batman Returns. Yeah, that, a lot went into that film, too. Yeah, and I would say that this one turned out better. <laughs> 
That's like between Batman Returns and The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's like telling me to pick my favorite child. Wait a minute, Batman Returns. Which one is that? Catwoman. Okay, okay. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking the one with uh, Mr. Freeze. No, that's Batman and, and Robin and Jim Carrey and that abomination yeah. of a Batman film. Anyway, yeah, no. <laughs> okay, now Batman Returns is pretty good. He did did good there. Um, and Ed Wood's funny as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> You and I, when we first started dating, there we used to when we used to watch Ed Wood. There was a scene where Bill Murray was getting baptized, and he was, and the pastor was like, "Do you reject Satan in all of his ways or something?" And he's like, "Sure." Yeah. And I remember I used to ask you, like, "Do you love me?" And you'd be like, "Sure." Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this this film was written by Tim Burton, Michael McDowell, and Carolyn Thompson, and I, I guess there was some controversy over the writing because they meant wanted Tim Burton originally wrote the poem. Uh, in the early, early 90s mm-hmm. or late 80s, something like that. And they wanted to make changes to it. And apparently every time they suggested a change, Tim Burton freaked out. Right. Uh, at one point, he freaked out enough he kicked a hole in a wall. Mm-hmm. And so the crew cut out that section and framed it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and there was a, a suggestion to change something with Sally, I uh, believe by Carolyn Thompson. And they said that Tim Burton went into like a screaming fit. So. I mean, I, I kind of get that to some degree. I mean, because a lot of Tim Burton's ideas, again, this, this is out of his imagination. So he, you definitely know when you're seeing Tim Burton fair. He has an aesthetic and he has a style unlike anybody else and so I could understand this is me this is my brand this is my stamp and somebody wanting to go change it I could understand being very protective oh, yeah. over that yeah it's kind of like a Clive Barker film like you you know when you're watching Clive Barker unfortunately <laughs> He did not get the creative control that Tim Burton had. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I bet there's some freakouts in his in his closet as well <laughs> um, from shit that they did in his movies. But um, at any rate, this film stars Danny Elfman as Jack's singing voice, and he does the voice of Beryl, which I did not. I yeah. did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Danny Elfman was also the lead singer of Oingo Boingo, Woo! one of your favorite mm-hmm. 80s bands, I guess. Yes. Chris Sarandon did Jack's speaking voice. <clears throat> the incomparable Chris Sarandon. <laughs> right. Uh, Catherine O'Hara does Sally and Shock, which I, I never know. I don't know, know how you knew that. I never know who Catherine O'Hara is until I see her. Like the name never rings a Every- bell. And then I see her face and I go, Kevin! <laughs> And I feel really bad because if you look at her credits, there's been a lot of stuff. She's she's a talented actress. Yes. And very. I had no fucking clue <laughs> of some of the stuff that she's been in. And well, she's I, kind I feel of one kind of those bad. she's kind of one of those niche actresses. She she does a lot of quirky stuff. She does, but she's really good. Uh-huh. Uh the always awesome William Hickey does yes. Dr. Finkelstein. Yes. Finkelstein. Which I think in the original in the film he was credited as Mad Scientist. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul Rubens plays Locke. I would I have didn't know never that. thought that Pee Wee Herman surprised by that, yes. uh, did a voice in this film. That's, yeah. that's crazy. And Ken Page was Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, there's a lot more people in here, but those, yeah. Are, the, yeah. those are the ones. A lot of them are background characters. Um, like Glenn Shaddix was the voice of the mayor. Mm-hmm. And you said you thought it was somebody else because it sounds just like a different I actor. For, yeah. I for the longest time thought it was Jeffrey Tambor. It sounds exactly like him. Yeah. Yeah. But there's actually a ton of voice acting in this film because... Every, well, I think every character that appears on screen, um, at least in Halloween Town, is it Halloween Town? Mm-hmm. Is voiced. I mean, they all have at least one line, they say a word. So, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, it's a huge, huge cast list as far as voice acting goes. Okay. So, Travis, how do you feel about the overall story? I like it. <laughs> 
he didn't spend that long thinking about no. it. No. <laughs> so here's the thing, and I'm I'm gonna bring this probably back up later as one of my positives. I think that the story of Jack himself is something that hits very close to home for adults of a certain age. And so for that reason, I think maybe that's why I still love it after all this time. Maybe you don't exactly understand what Jack's struggle is as a child, but as you get to be an adult and kind of in that rut of same shit, different day, you, you get more where you kind of understand where he's coming from and you understand the depression that goes along with that. And then you try something new and you screw it all up. <laughs> and you're like, you know, maybe I should stick to what I'm good at. <laughs> and that's yeah. the moral of the story. <laughs> stick to what you're good at. No, I just, I, I think, yeah, I think that's something that, that hits really close to home for a lot of us. And for that reason, I I, I love the story so much. Um, and then you also have like this kind of B storyline of this great tale of unrequited love. And I also love that about it so much that you see this guy who's kind of larger than life and everybody loves him and he's adored and he's, you know, he's fascinating and you but you're just kind of watching him from behind the shadows and you know you you're kind of stuck in a situation where you can't tell him how you feel because you're tethered to someone else and it I think that's another thing that a lot of us can relate to also if you've ever been in love with somebody and you can't tell them how you feel um for, when are you gonna for, stop talking about me <laughs> for one reason or another <laughs> um <laughs> but I I love that about it and then um just just this whole this whole overall thing about jack wanting to really do something with his life and be somebody and really really put his his mark on the world and he comes across this thing and <laughs> i think a lot of us also have had a thing where particularly let's let's say in the times of social media and youtubers and stuff where you see somebody like like let's just throw uh jack's up guy or Markiplier out there. These guys that are making billions of dollars by doing nothing but screaming into a mic over gameplay. And you go, I could do that. That's easy. And then you go and you try to do it and it's like, mm, no, there's a reason that these guys are billionaires because they've done, they've captured something special. You know, sometimes it's better to just <laughs> stick to what you're good Or at. you're a podcaster who wants to... <laughs> Who wants to uh, make your mark, but, you know, in the sea of way a lot more other horror podcasters, you go, hmm. So I think I think there's also something there about that Jack didn't appreciate what he already had. Yes, agreed. He was so amb ambitious, I guess, in looking for something else that he was completely ignoring uh, that what he already had was special. Yeah. And he didn't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And that he had somebody that loved him right under his nose. Yeah. And he had to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a, I think it's a great story. And, and because of that, I think it's a story that's going to transcend through the ages. So that's, that's one of my positives. One of the things I love about it, I guess. Okay. All right. So normally here we would talk about special effects except that Travis kind of already did that more or less you talked about what went into yeah I mean making that it's not so there's not really any special not really effects, effects. yeah the whole film is a, is a special effect yeah yeah exactly because in any other media in a live action film all the stop motion would be an effect mm -hmm. so yeah. so performances how did you feel about the performances I don't think there's a bad performance in this film I don't know I don't um, I don't 
don't know how many takes it, it took. I don't know how many takes it took for them to get some of this stuff, but I think everybody did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Sarandon, always good. Uh, I like the the singing. I know we'll talk about songs later, but Catherine O'Hara did a fantastic, I don't know. I'm going to name everybody. I, everybody did a fantastic job. Yeah. And it's funny because for the longest time, I thought Danny Elfman did both voices. I think it's been the last decade or so when I finally figured out that it was Chris Sarandon who did his speaking voice because their two voices between singing and speaking are so seamless. They sound so similar that I wouldn't blame anyone if they thought the same person did both of them. Right. Well, apparently Elfman was originally slated to do Jack's speaking voice, mm-hmm. but they said that his uh, his delivery was too wooden. And so they had to go on a search for someone who had a voice that would match mm-hmm. his singing voice. It's, and it's they found very close. Yeah. I had always thought it was the same person. I, I really did too for, for the longest time. And, and Chris Sarandon, of course, I adore everything he's in, no matter how big or small. Um, I thought he really kind of captured that kind of aloof, depressed, just I don't care about anything kind of attitude. Yeah. And I thought he, he performed that very well as much as in Sally, but Sally being, you know, also depressed in her own right, but then being just, I don't know, kind of a badass and that she she's so cunning and so, you know, that she will accomplish what she needs to by any means necessary. And I, I really loved that about her too. So yeah, I thought, you know, for our two leads, I thought that they were really great. Yeah, no complaints. <laughs> See, you thought Danny Elfman did both. I had always thought that Chris Sarandon just had a beautiful singing voice. I mean, he might, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had thought he, that he, that Sarandon was doing both. Uh-huh. So. No, and it's it's hard, like, um, when you listen to, or when I listen to Oingo Boingo, I see Jack for some reason. Like, every time I, I listen to, to um, those songs, I'm like, I just picture Jack in my head. So I've had this idea in my head where I really, really want to do, like, one of my favorite songs of theirs, but put it to footage of Jack. But, yeah, I don't know. Too ambitious, maybe. <laughs> well, see, that's, I've never seen Oingo Boingo any other way, because I don't know what Danny Elfman looks like, so. Really? Yeah. Like, kind of this buff, redheaded yeah. guy, very pale. But I, I, I don't, <laughs> so anytime you put that on. That's, I just see Jack. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is, this is a musical more or less. Yeah, it's a musical. Um, I think this is probably my favorite musical and I'm not a huge fan of musicals. I mean, there's stuff like Repo, the genetic opera. Um, there's an episode of Buffy that's a musical that we both really love. Um, but as a general rule, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, I guess. Um, but this is one that I know all the songs I love all the songs so what what would be your your favorite possibly uh what's this yeah like when he first goes into christmas town yeah or whatever it is i and i even like the adaptation which is the fuck <laughs> the fuck the fuck the fuck is in the air yeah, yeah. i love it if if you've never looked that up you definitely should yeah i think aiden was the one who brought it to my attention and i was just dying but i also really like kidnap the sandy claws yes um and i really like corn's version yes of kidnap the sandy Claus. i listen to it every damn year uh it's it's pretty great yeah i don't there's not a bad song in it honestly what's your favorite oh gosh that's that's really tough because my heart wants to say Sally's song so much. It's one that I really, really adore. But I think ultimately I like Jack's Lament because it's 
of of everything that's in here um it's the most beautiful to me and it's it captures the essence of how he's feeling and you get to know him as 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 an entity as a monster or whatever um and i i the way that the music flows the way it was was orchestrated and written it's just such a beautiful song and it's very moody and very atmospheric and it, it's one that i you can listen to outside of the holiday because it's not necessarily telling of either of those things really yeah one of the things that danny elfman is really great at is writing atmospheric music mm-hmm. uh, very moody mm-hmm. music uh, and, and outside of this film i think about batman the the first one mm-hmm. um, when he you know he get you get the theme and all that stuff absolutely fantastic job anytime he does the score for a film uh, especially if it's a, well I guess he only really does dark films but not necessarily absolutely I mean, cause you, cause... fantastic job matching the music to what you're seeing on screen right and using the the score the the background to enhance the mood or the the feeling that you're seeing on screen I'm about to hurt your feelings so bad okay did you know he did the score for Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy what the heck <laughs> He doesn't even know what to say. (laughs) You know, it's hard when you see your heroes fall. But what I was going to say... Mighty Casey just struck the fuck out. What I was going to say was, but you also take something like, because everybody knows that he also did the theme to The Simpsons, right? Um, Even though that that is way much lighter fare, there's still something quirky about it that you still go, if somebody told you it was Danny Elfman, you go, I I can see that. It's just just weird enough that I can see that he would do that. Well, and the thing about his, his music also is that you... It's immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. When you hear his Batman theme, you know exactly what it is. When you hear music from Nightmare Before Christmas, you know exactly what it is. When you hear the Simpsons theme, you know exactly what it Tales is. Tales from the Crypt. They're, it's so easy to identify it. Yes. I mean, they're just all over, I guess. Maybe it's popular culture that has caused that. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's quirky. His style is so distinct mm-hmm. that when you hear it, you can almost immediately tie it back to its source. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I think that he's probably one of the great composers of our time. I mean, I know there's other guys up there, John Williams and and so forth. Um, but I, yeah, his is his is probably my favorite. Is my favorite music. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like it's like you were saying that there's there's a stamp on it that when you hear it, you go, "That's a Danny Elfman score." You know? Yeah, I mean, I would put him. I would almost say with John Williams, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because when you hear Star Trek, you or Star Trek stuff, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Like what? I mean, you do immediately know who that is or what it is, but you have no idea who wrote it. Um, Star Wars. Yeah. Like you instantly know that's John Williams. Right. Or Jaws. Or yeah. you hear it and you go, that's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's Jaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, he's he's kind of in that same category, I yeah. think. Well, I mean, because like you just brought up John Williams, right? Um, Spielberg John uses him. Williams. <laughs> Spielberg has used him for almost everything he has, so there's a lot of easily identifiable stuff. But Tim Burton's the same way in that he seems to use Danny Elfman every time too. So it's maybe that's it. Maybe it's just more identifiable because they're amused to somebody. Well, they could be, or it could be because they know if they go with this, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get exactly what I'm looking for. Right. Or maybe it's not exactly what I had in mind, but it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's something to be said with going with. 
a known quantity, <laughs> I guess. That sounds terrible, but you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get a, a quality score. You're going to get something that, I don't know, sets you apart mm-hmm. if you go with that person. And I feel like with Elfman, that's that's the case. Same thing with Tim Burton. If you're going to make a film and you bring in Tim Burton, you know you're going to get something interesting. Yeah. You know, something quirky. Um, and I know a lot of people don't maybe may not care for it, but Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. I mean... They had to know what they were getting when they did that. <laughs> yeah. And I like Sweeney Todd personally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, even with sure. Johnny Depp. Actually, I think he did a great job in that. Sorry. <laughs> I think he did a great job. Yeah, there's a, yeah same I'm, thing. There's like, some great... Not great, a huge fan of musicals, but I, I like Sweeney Todd. There's some great songs in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also like that it feels like the score is not one thing consistently through the entire film, too, because I feel like you get different types of of songs throughout because you do get the depressing moody ones but you also get really magical ones like what's this um you get little funny quirky ones like kidnap the sandy claws um but then oogie boogie song sounds so different from everything else that's in there too so i like that there's such a variety in in mood and storytelling throughout that you have this room for all these different types of songs well elfman did a fantastic job of matching the music to what you're seeing on screen and the mood that was intended for that scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I've, I've heard, actually I say I've heard most of the time, I couldn't even tell you if there was music in the film. And I, I've talked about that before and you get really frustrated. You're like, what'd you think about the score? And I'm like, I don't know. Was there one? <laughs> but I have, have actually noticed some of them where there's a score happening and it's like, it kind of all sounds the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the scene is different. The mood is different, but the, the music is in the background is just so similar to everything else you've heard that it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. But yeah, Elfman did a fantastic job of tailoring the music uh, to make it more impactful. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what lends to because this is this is a film for me. Obviously, for a lot of people, that you can not only watch it at Halloween, you can also watch it at Christmas. And I think it works for either holiday, not necessarily because both holidays are covered, but because there are mood-inducing songs for that time of year. You know, like in particular what's this you know you get those jingles and you you know of bells and it feels very of the season and you know just the way uh this is halloween wood for halloween and i i love that that it can work on both of those levels but then again you have something like um oogie boogie song that doesn't necessarily go to with either of those it's just this very new orleans creole sounding song that's that's so much there's fun. something really bourbon street about it yeah yeah and I, I i love that about it so much um so yeah i can't i can't say anything probably about this music that hasn't already been said a hundred times it's it's wonderful actually one of my favorite jingles is not even a song at all it's when jack is trying to teach the little vampire uh troop how to play jingle bells and you know he jingles the little bells ding 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 ding, ding and they play it so sad and depressing I love that so much. It's it, yeah. I, I I'm gonna stop talking because I'm a giant nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so should we move on to scene? Sure. What's your favorite scene? I said I was going to stop talking. You go first. <laughs> I feel like I've been talking too much. So I think my favorite scene is probably the nightmare toys. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and this is going to sound crazy. 
But when uh, Jack tasks Lock, Stock, and Barrel, or Shock, Lock, Shock, and Barrel to go <laughs> kidnap Santa Claus, and they come back with the Easter Bunny. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the things that they were talking about, or one of the, the points of contention, I guess, when they were making this film, was that Jack didn't have eyes. Mm-hmm. And like, kind of a rule, I guess, in a Disney film was that they have to have eyes in order for them to show emotion. Um, and Tim Burton, I, like that was a challenge. He was like, I accept this, and created Jack with no eyes. So mm-hmm. like you have to find a way to make that character show expression without eyes. And I. I don't, I don't know why that's a rule because he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Or who, the sculptors. Maybe that, maybe I'm giving him too much credit on this one. The sculptors that made those models did a fantastic job because the look of what the fuck on Jack's face when they pop out the Easter bunny <laughs> is pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> it it really is. They they for sure did work. One of my favorite ones is whenever it, I think it's the same scene actually. Um, when they bring back the Easter Bunny and he does the thing where he makes the scary face at him, he puts his fingers in his mouth and Rah! and they all run off scared. Yeah, he's. It, I I'll talk about it again and and what I love about the film. But he's got at this point he has such an iconic face that everybody knows who he is. You know, from from all generations. And yeah, and I think that that would have to happen with the sculptors, like you were saying. Yeah, enormous amount of talent Mm -hmm. with the people that were working on the stop motion. Okay. My favorite scene. Oh, it's probably going to be the end of the movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of favorite scenes and we can talk about multiples because this is this is a rare occasion where we don't have we don't have any kills, you know, so I think we can talk about some of our favorite scenes and it'll be fine. (laughs) So. But I, yeah, I love the ending of the film, I guess, where uh, there's a reprise of Jack's lament as he's going up that curly hill and Sally comes up behind him and they share a kiss. That's that's probably my favorite. So sweet. Oh my gosh. Nerding out again. Um, but uh, there are, I, I, I think uh, I like your idea too of uh, of the killer toys or, or demonic toys, whichever. Um, I'm actually working on the vampire teddy bear because I think it's so fucking adorable so I'm actually crocheting it right now um because I want one for myself desperately um I'm I'm trying to think um one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes um has a lot to do with Aiden I guess when he was a little guy because um the scene after Sally drugs um drugs Dr. Finkelstein (laughs) Dr. Finkelstein Finkelstein (laughs) um and he wakes he wakes and realizes she's gone and he does the gone again <laughs> cracks me up so bad because um when Aiden was a baby and I would watch this um oh my god when Aiden was a baby oh the boy's gonna be 18 it's still freaking me out but every time he would say that line he, he'd giggle in his little baby giggle and I I, I that's all that scene's always going to be synonymous with me with Aiden being a baby and yeah it's 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 among other things with this film that's that's one of the reasons that it's always going to hold a special place for me I guess but it's hard like we were just talking off mic it's hard to talk about a film like this that's a musical because I mean yes there's a plot you know but it's it's not really that dialogue heavy I guess I mean because mostly everything is expressed through song so this is kind of a difficult well a lot of the a lot of the especially Jack's his spoken dialogue is uh it's like a poem it rhymes Mm -hmm. you know so I mean it you they could have almost done this musical from beginning to end right yeah you could have almost sung the the entire script but 
Yeah. It's tough. And it's hard to cover a movie that, that you can't nitpick at. Yeah, that too. I mean... that And this is... I think this is the only film we've done that has no kills at all. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of rough. I just thought of another scene that I really enjoy, and that's the Kidnap the Sandy Claus mm-hmm. uh, sequence. I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. The song is great. But oh, I love the song. I know every word to that song. <laughs> I enjoy a good montage and them showing all the different stuff that they want to do to Santa Claus. Sand, sand, God damn it. <laughs> Sandy Claus. Sandy Claus. Um, <laughs> what a bad sound. Are you off your fucking meds? Yes. But that's not what this is about. <laughs> I'm doing this for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy Claus. Uh, but them kind of acting it out as they go along is, I think that's great. Yeah. They're so happy too. Yeah. Lock, Again, that goes back lock, to- Lock, shock, and barrel are like, that's another set of masks I would love to have in this house for sure. Um, I had been, you know, when London was still alive, I had been begging and begging for them to either go as uh, the witch, pumpkin, and skeleton from Halloween 3 or lock, shock, and barrel. I'm like, come on. I didn't have three kids for nothing. You got, you guys- Got all these choices of three people. And so, the only one you got was the Adams Family. Yes, I did get the Adams Family finally. Uh, well, I say finally. It happened when Isabel was a baby. A long, well, she was pubert size. She was, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, and, and there, it's so, this. I mean, for as great as the story is, ultimately, it's actually really simple. You know, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a hero's journey type of story, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so it's not, you know, we can get into all these things with horror, you know, like um, the kills and the practical effects and, you know, what we think about the shitty characters. And this is just one where there's not any nitpicks for me. And I think that's a lot of the problem is um, when you have a 95% rating, it's like, yeah, you understand that because there's not, I mean, even the pacing of this film, I don't feel like it lulls in any place. I don't feel like it gets boring. Now, can I sleep to it? Yes, but it's because all the music it, a lot of times is really peaceful, but it's it's just not one that I can sit here and go, oh, well, this was terrible. And what about this? And, and so that, that does make it inherently hard to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're at a standstill a little bit here. I hate that. Well, not completely. <laughs> What's your favorite quote? Oh, favorite quote. Oh my gosh. I, I actually was going to go with the gone again one. <laughs> I okay. was, I was because I had that story behind it. So I'm, I'm pretty much done. I think, although, um, ah, God, it's hard. It's hard to try to pick a favorite quote. You want for me this to go one. first? Sure, then? sure, sure, sure. So this was kind of odd. I didn't remember a ton of the dialogue from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two that I like the most, there's two quotes. They're both from Sally, not from Jack. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know how I missed this on like my first watch, but Burton wrote some deep shit. Yeah. In this. Yeah. And I agree. The first one is I wear my scars. With pride, the reminder of times when life tried to break me but failed, and I thought, "Shit, that's in a cartoon. That's that's hardcore." Mm-hmm. And then she, when she says, "I myself am made entirely of flaws, stitched together with good intentions," I thought, "Wow, like I don't know, it's that's deep shit for a kids movie." Which mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. He may not have intended for this to be uh, a children's movie, but definitely some stuff in there for grownups. I think the issue with me, as far as quotes, is not necessarily that there aren't any. It's just that all of mine are not in spoken dialogue. My favorite quotes are in in 
the songs themselves, you know, because like I was saying, Jack's Lament is, is one of my favorite songs. Um, and so I, I like the part, you know, somewhere deep inside of these bones and emptiness began to grow. And then at the end of the, the song, Sally's behind watching and she says, Jack, I know how you feel. You know, that's that's some of my favorite dialogue there. Right. But right. yeah, he says, uh, there's an empty place in my bones that calls out for something unknown. Yeah. And it was Sally the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's so hard. Everybody's sitting here like, God, like you can't talk about the night before Christmas. Well, well, we have been talking about it, but it's, I dare I say it's, it's almost a perfect film. I mean, I know somebody out there, you know, with more education than me can really pick it apart scene by scene and how it was shot and all that. But as a casual film watcher and lover, I can't do that. I can only tell you how it invokes something in me. Right. You know, which is, it's something to be said for a cartoon that can make you feel something and can make you feel something and be sort of uplifting at the end. Yeah. Um, which, I, again, to go back to some of their modern shit, they've tried that and I don't feel like it landed. There was one that they did. It's about this girl's emotions. What was that movie? You remember that? Oh, They had fuck. anger. Yes. And as soon as anger came on screen, you were like, that's you. Yes. Um, what movie was that? What was that called? I can't remember the name of it. We watched it one time. Yeah. And we were like, even when it was over, like, I didn't feel better at the end of that film. No, no, there's a lot like, of them. I get the ending was supposed to make you feel a little bit better, but I'm like, God, that was the most depressing freaking cartoon I've ever seen in my life. I know, right? I think the, we felt the same way about The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> oh, the, I, yeah, I can't watch The Good yeah. Dinosaur. Yeah, I know there was a few there that was like, oh my God, like I'm not supposed to walk out of here crying. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to walk out and feel the way you feel when you watched Aladdin, like again, again. Right, right. <laughs> and know? I feel like this one kind of captures that story-wise is that, you know, you start off and you're excited for Jack because he's going to go try something new mm-hmm. you know you, you you can feel you understand him being dissatisfied with where he's at and mm-hmm. then when he does it you're like oh yeah he's gonna do it and then he fails and you're like oh shit you know but then at the end he finds sally and he's like i've had what i was looking for the whole time right here right and you it kind of it takes you on that journey with him in a way that other animations don't yeah i'm done <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. All right. Um, So I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up with just our apologies that this is going to be a shorter episode this week. They might be happy that it's a shorter episode. (laughs) Right? You know, there's a good chance that people pull up some of our episodes in like two hours, really? And listen to this shit for two hours? (laughs) Yeah. Just shut up already. (laughs) So, Travis, marry, fuck, or kill Nightmare Before Christmas. You could at least let me get the sentence out first. Okay. All right, finish. finish. No, no, yeah. I'm done. I'm done. I'll marry this one. So there's there's only a couple of movies that when Halloween, when spooky season rolls around, that you're like, let's watch this. And I'm like, yep, let's watch it. Um, no, there's there's two. There's two films. Um, Halloween mm-hmm. and this one. Mm-hmm. Any of the rest of them that you haul out and you're like, no, let's watch this. I'm like, God, we have to do that again. Really? Yeah. You just got through saying that Trick or Treat was one that you like to watch every Trick year. Trick or Treat is one that I like to watch. Mm-hmm. But if you gave me a choice, and I'm okay, you ready to hear some heresy? If you give me a choice between Halloween, the original, Trick or Treat, and this one, I'm probably going to pick this one. I'm actually not very surprised by that at all. No, but there's people listening to this that are clutching their pearls right now. Like, you'd rather watch a cartoon than Halloween? I don't 
don't think as many as you would I think. think so. No, no. I mean, there's a reason that this film is as beloved as it is. Yeah. So. How about you? Uh, it's also a Mary, like hardcore Mary. Like I, I want to move in, meet the parents, pop out 3.5 kids. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's one that I couldn't imagine ever not watching again. And, and kind of back to the musical thing. And I, you said you can sleep to it because of the music. Yeah. That's the cool thing about this one is that it, the music in it is, is engaging enough that you can put it on in the background, like while you're cleaning house or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. And just listen to the music. I mean, I, I own the soundtrack. I have the, the rock versions of these songs. Like, um, yeah, but, um, I really, really enjoy Marilyn Manson's version of this is Halloween and Korn's version of Kidnap the Sandy Claus. Um, I remember, <laughs> I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was using Siri in the car and I said, Hey Siri, play Kidnap the Sandy Claus. And I didn't preface it with by corn first. And so I'm sitting here waiting for this, nah, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden it's, it's the other version of the music. And I'm like, no, no, no. Right. <laughs> Even though I love them both, you know, just as much, but it was funny. <coughs> Siri's like, okay, playing, <laughs> playing Kidnap St. Claus. But um, no, it's, it's. I'm trying to figure out how to articulate. It is one that I feel like transcends through the ages. I feel like, like we have done where we watched it as kids. So we passed it along to our kids. I have a feeling our kids will pass it along to their kids and so on and so forth. It's, it's one of those that the story is so timeless that I think that it will be enjoyed for generations to come. Well, I think because of the, the subject matter that they tackle in this film, it's always going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing, I know we've talked about it before in films, like it's, it's dated, you know, they did this. And so it kind of sets it in a certain time period right. that, mm-hmm. that may or may not uh, continue to be relevant in the future. I date that's not the case in this Of course. I mean, it's a fantasy uh, film and it's cartoon, so it's, it's hard, but yeah, I feel like the, the message is going to be relevant to our grandkids. So yeah, cause somebody's always going to feel the way Jack felt. Yeah. And somebody's always going to feel the way Sally felt. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's, it's just, it transcends life, I guess. You're using big words. I got it from my word of the day calendar yes oh my god no i'm just i'm just saying i feel like there's a reason that this film is has gotten to the status that it has because i feel like for a long time this was kind of one of those cult classics you know if you were going to watch a disney film this wasn't necessarily the one you hauled out you know it kind of felt like very paper bag bottom drawer you know it i feel like it was as in terms of disney films it felt very black sheep you know you had to be in a certain kind of niche to... It was the cartoon for emo kids. Right. Yeah. But I think a lot of that came from the fact that Burton mixed Halloween and Christmas and living in Texas uh, in the Bible Belt. There were a lot of people that have a real problem with mixing those two things. Yeah. They don't even like seeing it in Walmart when you've got Halloween stuff and Christmas stuff out at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do, but mostly because Halloween hasn't even fucking happened yet. You know, I was having a conversation with my sister last night and she was telling me about all of her loot she picked up for Christmas. And I was like, bro, it's like Halloween hasn't even happened happened yet thanksgiving hasn't happened yet i'm like what the hell and she's like well i'd rather get it now before you know it's hard to get anything and i'm like i know but put some fucking respect on halloween <laughs> well in this house it's totally the opposite because halloween comes out the the decorations and all the merch and we're immediately like all right we gotta go check it out like we're gonna go to spirit halloween every week yes. just to see if they put out something every new. week a couple when's, times a week <laughs> when's the home decor shit at michael's gonna go on sale yeah 
<laughs> yeah. When's it, when's it going to hit 80% off? Because they do that like hell probably now. Yeah. They put stuff on sale really early. And then when the hey, Christmas stuff starts Hey, you want to make it to Michael's later? <laughs> yeah. And then when the Christmas stuff hits, we're always like, nah, <laughs> no, we're good. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the stores like like uh, Hobby Lobby that are known for doing holiday decor and stuff, but are super Christian and take the stance on, yeah, we're going to have fall decor out, but we're not going to have Halloween decor out. And I'm like, yeah, those guys can suck an egg. So, <laughs> yes, you live for the really cool shit that's going to come to Michael's and, of course, Spirit Halloween. And now we have two Spirit Halloween locations here in town. So I kind of feel like... I think they could get a third in there if they tried a little harder. It's the, really the, just a lack of effort on their part. The world is starting to heal just a little bit. I personally think Spirit Halloween needs to be open all year round. I think we should get on that. But then I remember telling you that and you were like, it is. It's called Hot Topic. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair, though, because they don't have decor in there. Spirit Halloween is owned by Hot Topic, right? No, it's owned by Spencer's, oh, it's owned by Spencer's, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, I, you know, I have this shit out all year long anyway. It's just that this year, understandably, I haven't felt like really celebrating any holidays it just doesn't feel right I guess so I did not decorate for Halloween this year and you know but I told my sister last night that doesn't mean I'm not gonna go buy my little sweet treats because <laughs> I have been buying up uh almost all the killer clone stuff I can find which is really surprising but. and you know what you didn't even really like that movie when we covered no, it no I I something happened it something just clicked and now I love it and I'm like all the things <laughs> you just got 10% cooler <laughs> thank you thank <laughs> Thank you, Rainbow Dash. <laughs> it's 20% cooler, by the way. <laughs> well, I, there's no reason why I would know that. <laughs> you should. <laughs> anyway, we, we got off topic. <laughs> yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> why we why we want to marry this film. Oh, okay. Like, I can't... Because it's got a sweet ass. In all, <laughs> in all honesty, I don't have anything about this film I don't like what, whatsoever. I can't even think of a nitpick. What about you? I got nothing. This ah. is one of the very few films that we can put on and I don't fall asleep in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the pacing earlier. It moves along great. And, I mean, it's an hour and 16 minute runtime. Yeah. So I, it's fantastic. And we went not, well, not all that long ago to a Studio Ghibli and I I didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> and those are really good and I didn't make it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I, I napped for what? Solid 30 minutes, woke up and it was still going. <laughs> yeah. Because God, those are some long movies. <laughs> They're fantastic, though, if you haven't ever seen them. My Neighbor Totoro, start there. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it keeps me engaged, and that's that's saying something. And like I was talking about before, this is one you don't even have to be watching it. You can just put it on in the background. Mm-hmm. And most movies, you can't do that. Yeah. So, well, maybe you well, can. You, I can put a lot of movies on You can put anything on. <laughs> I can. <laughs> but for me, no, I don't know. This movie's special. It is. It really is special. Like I said, as much stuff as you can relate to as an adult, I think that the magic of being a kid is still there. And I I I think it is one that is definitely for all ages. It's it's hard to do that, you know. Um, but this one I think pulls it off very, very, very nicely. And for that, it's this film is like I'm gonna say something about a film that I have never said before. Um, this film is probably one of the loves of my life, if I'm if I'm being very honest. It's it's got such a special place in my heart that, you know, if you could love a movie, this would be one that I would love. Does it really? Yes. Does it really? Yes. Or is it just cook uh Chris <laughs> I no, mean, because if that were the case, I would have Fright Night on loop <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and Child's Play. <laughs> uh, no, no, probably Fright Night. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so final thoughts. Is that not what we just did? No, we did Mary Fucker Kill. Final thoughts. <laughs> okay, everything I just said again. <laughs> 
rewind the last five minutes. Let's do it again. Uh, final thoughts. If you haven't seen this movie, where have you been? Uh, I think everybody should watch it. I think it's a, it's a great film. It's fun for all ages. I don't know what else to say. I feel like we've said it all already. Yeah, I do too. That's why so, I said this is a hard, hard movie to talk about for yeah. sure without going scene by scene, line by line. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I, it's I can only kiss ass for so long. <laughs> That is very true. My I lips know are this. chapped. We need to stop. <laughs> yes, that is my final thoughts too. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. If you never have. If you're like, oh, I'm not really into animated stuff. It doesn't feel that way at all. Yeah. So just to continue talking about it, even though we said we weren't. <laughs> I- <laughs> I do agree with you there. It doesn't, it's an animated film, but it doesn't feel like one yeah. necessarily because of just the the high quality script and the voice acting. Mm-hmm. Everything was on point. So it just, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a cartoon so much. Yeah. Okay. Well, finally, uh, we're talking next week. We're talking next. Yes, we will be talking next week. I plan to talk this week too. No, we're not going to talk next week. That's I'm right. sorry. Um, we're actually going to take the, uh, holiday off uh, because I'm going out of town to see my family on what is a much, much, much needed vacation. Um, I say vacation. I'm taking a long weekend to go see my family. Um, so we will forego Pillow Talk this month. Um, but when we come back in November, and November is also going to be our last month before we go on another break, um, you know, it'll be our season four closing month. Um, we have a pretty good schedule lined up. I'm kind of, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but when we come back in first weekend in November, we will be discussing A Nightmare on Elm Street. And we have been at this for two years and have not covered a single one of those films. And I'm, I am so damn shocked. I'm sorry, everybody. I've been putting this one off for as long as possible. I've been stalling. Why? Because I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> So I just, my apologies. All, I, all my tactics finally ran out. Well, I don't know about Travis, but it is a very well-loved movie in this house. Um, so much so, I got the pleasure of getting to pass it on to a youngster not that long ago who had never seen it, and she loved it. And I was like, yay, like I'm doing my job, because I feel like Nightmare on Elm Street is one of those films when you are introducing somebody to horror, that's when you pick out, absolutely, that first one. But I'm just, I'm, you know, we went through the entire Friday the 13th franchise. We went through the entire Halloween franchise, uh, albeit 2018, I think is still one we haven't covered. Um, Next year, I guess. But but no, I'm I'm super excited to to cover it franchise because it is another one of my favorites. So anyway, so yeah, we'll come back in November with A Nightmare on Elm Street and got some pretty cool shit lined up for you after that. So anyway, enough rambling. (laughs) We'll see you next Next week, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter-Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel Alana Llama on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 respectively as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing and thank you again for your support.